Do you know anyone with a birthday? Get them some custom art at artofericpabone.com. Want to impress your significant other on your anniversary? Skip the wilted flowers in the dirty CVS teddy bear. Commission a custom family portrait at artofericbabone.com. Maybe you're just like me and you like unique pieces of art, celebrating your favorite films, comics, and pop culture. Head to artofericbabone.com and shop till you drop. And don't forget, MOTCU listeners get special discounted pricing on all custom art. Don't pay some cookie-cutter bullshit from Hobby Lobby. I'm pretty sure child labor was involved in that painting of a cow you just had to have. Be a hero and support local art at artofericpabone.com. Welcome back to Masters of the Cinematic Universe. We are closing out the movie Jaws. Um, as we last left off, three of our heroes are on the boat, the orca, and uh, we're picking up with some incredible action. This is one of the most iconic shots from the movie. You got uh, our our police chief chum in the water, just thoughtlessly bored. Like, hey, you want to do this shit, this shit job that they gave me? And what do we see pop up in the background? A big set of jaws. I mean, just what a cool shot. Yeah. His reaction to it. Like, just a speechless, stunned reaction to this big motherfucker popping up. Yeah. Um, it's wonderfully done. And it, it does feel unexpected because there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the scene. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of arguing. It's a lot of minutia. So for this, this shark to just pop up like, hey, like... Like yeah. just, hey guys! <laughs> hey, please, <Jabba> <laughs> <laughs> comes popping up, and it's just a wonderful, scary, unexpected moment. You, you it, know, go, going with the whole moment and Brody, just like with the dolly shot and like his reaction to it and everything. In this one, the speed at which he like pops his head up after seeing Bruce the first time is just like so cool too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're just again scenes that have no words and it's just like a really cool the the shooting and just like mm-hmm. how like yeah. taken aback he was by seeing it come up and like it's so it's also pretty unexpected too because in the scene Brody's like half of the frame with his like face and shoulder it's a very close up with him throwing the chum over the 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 stern you know yes. just like all of a sudden then you see that quick cut and he's just like the fast like do they times 25 percent that you know what i mean like yeah yeah just shoots right up i just wish he would come out of the water and be like fish are friends <laughs> <laughs> not food not food because you know they, that's who they named uh he was named after that the, in finding nemo his name was bruce bruce yeah. Yeah. yeah gotcha yeah yeah that that's yeah. Inter- do you guys do you guys uh in your uh trivia and stuff learn why they called the shark bruce or who it was named after I actually have no idea. It's named after Steven Spielberg's lawyer, <laughs> whose name is Bruce, and he's still oh. a shark. Yeah, that maybe. Sense. It's just it interesting sense. that it's that's... Sense. Yep. yep. Bruce is the name of the shark. It's Spielberg's lawyer. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, Holy this, shit. This is one of the best scenes, too. Like, it's a very iconic scene here, too. That we're yeah. Oh, about. yeah, man. It's. I mean, if you're talking about what scenes make this movie iconic, that's that's got to be in the top three, you know? Mm-hmm. Just that moment. And then the panic sets in. Like once they're all aware that the shark is here, and you start to, you start to see it. Now this is 
an interesting point of contention for me for this movie. Whenever the shark is the fake shark, and this is just me talking, you guys may disagree. I buy that shark all day long. Like, mm-hmm. whether it's moving, whether it's a oh, close-up of it. I don't even give it a second thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 so much is said about how fake this fucking thing looks. To me, it, it just, it looks like, it looks incredible. <laughs> now, there are, there are scenes further along in this movie where they use real sharks under the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like those as much. Uh, thank you, man. They don't I, work I, for me. I don't. They, they, and they filmed those ones in Australia, which is interesting, too. There's, right. there, I made this quick connection I didn't realize when I watched it through. When Hooper actually gets to the island, he's on the phone with somebody else, probably another marine biologist, and they talk about, they're going back and forth, he's like talking about everything going on, and he mentions, he pronounces it Melbourne, but I think they pronounce it there, Melbourne, in Australia, and I believe it was... Melbourne. It was in Australia where they filmed first the underwater scenes for some of them. Yeah, and the shark cage stuff. In the shark cage, they had a dwarf that was uh, 4'11", and they filmed it in a smaller cage so the shark would look bigger. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was watching um, Bruce, uh, not, not, not Bruce, Spielberg was saying <clears throat> they were having interviews for dwarfs so they could get the scale right. And in his office, they had this actor come in that was a dwarf, and the actor was covered in blood and he said that he had just gotten into a car accident but he didn't want to be late for the audition holy crap and he ended up and spielberg was like if this guy's this determined for a thing he's going to be tough enough to go in the cage yeah and ended up getting the role for for the the scenes they shot down in australia i don't know if it was off melbourne but it was in australia which i thought was kind of a nice little i don't know if intentionally they wrote it in there with hooper mentioning um melbourne you know but they filmed those real sharks. And Eric, go back to your point. I I still like Bruce personally, you know, yeah. because you see him most of the time. You know what I mean? It it's just he is yeah, it's more stiff of a shark, but that's the shark you kind of get acquainted with. Right. You yeah. love, you know, he's, you he's, see, he's comically large, man. Like mm-hmm. and he's very he's a, like a spear in the water, you know. Yeah. And when you get those shots of those authentic sharks, those Australian sharks, they look too small. They look too right. real world. Like, this shark mm-hmm. looks like a fucking rubber monster like, from hell, you know? You call that a shock? This is a shock. That's right. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, their first encounter with the shark, they have this system on the boat with these barrels. And, you know, you hook the harpoon into the barrel. You, you harpoon the shark and the barrel's attached to it. And in theory, like this thing should, it's buoyant, right? So right. it should mm-hmm. keep the shark at almost surface level. We have Superman shark. So this motherfucker pulls those barrels down to the bottom of the ocean and everyone's like, yeah. what the fuck? Like how, how can it do that? Mm-hmm. Again, we're establishing that this shark does not play by shark rules. Yeah. It's such a smart yeah. thing to have the barrels because it gives the viewer an idea where he is and it, it creates Bruce as an image in your head. Yeah, you know what I mean when it yes. when it comes back at you, and it's just it's 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 very cool to see like that's how you can follow without them having to show Bruce all the time. It was very, very it was very, very much the cheat code of this movie. Those yeah. barrels and and it's to stop you from doing a deep dive and finding all the flaws. <laughs> the flaws of Jaws, <laughs> yeah, Jaws, man. Some Jaws. Those 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 barrels become a character almost. You know, mm-hmm. in the way that the in the way that the music enhances it, the way that well, all these 
you know, visual cues and enhances. Yes. You, you I was know- going to say about, I'm sorry, about the music. So, you know, most of it is dark, deep, foreboding. Mm-hmm. But this is ve- this is just straight up adventure music, and I, I, yes. it's such a welcome break, and it mm-hmm. allows us to breathe. Yeah, you know, breathe. You know, after what we've been through and what we're gonna be going through, and there's two scenes, the two big chase scenes, almost mm-hmm. they're chase scenes yep. uh, where the, uh, the, the score changes, and it, it's really a great effect. You know, the music uh, in this movie is single handedly responsible for making tuba players feel important. <laughs> uh, that's true D- doug i'm so glad that you brought that up because i had it written down when i was watching it again and trying to pay attention to more things and how i had mentioned the score is almost a character in a narrative yes for the viewer and, and generally that's what its goal is yeah. but it's interesting what i had written down here that you brought up doug was like you get this whimsical adventure music and you'll notice they do it when they're on the offense. But as soon as Bruce is on right. offense and they're on defense, dun-dun, it goes dun-dun. it's time for yeah. my theme song. Like, like I'm going to come out during WWE. It's like yeah. my turn. <laughs> and, but then you get this like whimsical adventure, like fairy tale, like when they finally are making some progress. John Williams talked about this when I went to see him at uh, Symphony Hall in Boston. Like, because he did a live thing with the Boston Symphony Orchestra and, you know, he, that would be Obviously cool to did see. his other scores too, but he did this. He did a little bit on Jaws, and he talked about that because th- that this movie sort of set him up. I mean, this movie, you know, this was his coming out party, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a composer. So. Still so jealous of that man. That is so cool. <laughs> I know. I love when I say it. I kind of cringe, and I go inside. I go, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> If they ever bring this movie back, like I saw Titanic when they brought it back to theaters, I would see this movie now again when they bring it to theaters. And I just feel yeah. like being such a fan. You know, somebody once mentioned me, I don't know if this is folklore, but I'm sure we can look it up on the internet. Someone mentioned to me in Cape Cod, you they show a screening of this movie and you can sit on the water in an inner tube. Well, they did. Yeah, that I've heard that. about that too. They, and, yeah, yeah, which is a hard where, pass yeah. for most people. Like it's got to be a hard no, pass exactly. for people that are even like exactly. at night. At night, on the Atlantic, in a tube, yeah. here's Jaws. Hell yeah, yeah. man. I don't oh, know I would I do it. Do uh, Joe, if you want to hit this next clip for me, this is uh, Brody's reaction to seeing this motherfucker. Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. going to need a bigger boat one of the most misquoted cinema lines and yet most famous lines mm-hmm. just like uh luke i am your father versus mm-hmm. you know uh luke or no i am your father that's mm-hmm. the correct line yeah exactly yeah. see even mm-hmm. i get it fucked up yeah um what a what a cool uh, mandela effect mandela effect mandela effect. There that's you what go. that's the term for it yeah or it could have just been written better I think, it's the, you, I, I think it's the way that he pronounces it. it, it it's very like he's still in shock. It sometimes sounds like weir. Yeah. Because, because essentially at that point, they're kind of a team, and you're assuming he's going to refer to it as a collective whole instead of still referring to the orca as Yours. the captain's boat. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And 
Joe, what would you have had him say in this moment? You're right. He should have said we're because like we're a fucking team right now. It's not the same. There's no iron team. Brody, I think, still separates himself from the water, the boat, and Robert Shaw's character as well. You know, but yeah, that was and that was ad lib by Scheider. It wasn't written. Oh, really? Okay. It was ad lib, and it it ranks 35th on AFI's top 100 movie quotes ever. I wish Clint would have turned around and said, "Yeah, I'll get right on that asshole." (laughs) well as we learn quint has no interest in in help from bigger boats which you know right comes up a few times and yeah exactly (laughs) he's like the water's cold it's shrinkage (laughs) (laughs) it's shrinkage jerry um so we after that experience brody (laughs) after that experience and and the harpoon and the barrel going down to the bottom of the ocean the boys end up back in the boat and they're uh, bonding. They're drinking. They're sharing stories. They're comparing scars. The first time that Hooper and Quint really bond because they have been at each other's throats uh, for most of this movie. And, you know, they finally find some common ground. Like, they have a lot of fish-related injuries and shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, we get a very, like I said, a very cool bonding moment. And uh, then Quint tells this story. This is what you call bringing the whole room down because they were having a fun time. And this is a very affecting scene. Um, Really, really amazingly done by Robert Shaw. Like he just goes, he lays into this crazy military background to the extent that they wanted veterans to watch this movie um, just on the basis of this scene. And, and, how his personal military uh, history affected his character. So this is one of my longest clips in the episode. I don't have a ton of clips, but this one is really, really good. And Joe, if you want to hit it for me now, we will get into it. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living. Until he bites you, and those black eyes roll over white, and then... There you go. Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in, and they rip you to pieces. Nobody in that first dawn. Lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks. Maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men. They average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player. Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. All right, so we get this incredibly effective scene from Quint. Um, the acting is incredible. Um, I know there was some speculation as to whether he was sober or not, but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's one of the most memorable deliveries in cinema. Uh, for me, at least. I mean, it's just fucking so affecting. Like, the way 
he record scratches that room and takes them from, you know, sort of celebratory to this extreme low. It's it's wild. And then the way they get out of it, we'll get to in a second. But just fucking incredible, man. Oh, please. Mm -hmm. It explained Quint's background. Right. In that, you know, it because so, you know, I was thinking about several things when I watched it again, too. And this 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 as well. So like we were saying with Joe, he was saying like the first half was slow for him and the second half is just like gung ho. The way I look at it, the first half of the movie is slower with blips of uptick stuff and the second half is pretty fast with blips of troughs if you will like a little bit of slowdown every now and then give a little bit of breathing time to breathe yeah and and robert shaw also did the scene twice once he was blackout drunk and he the story goes that he called spielberg at 3 a.m apologizing feeling like he embarrassed everybody and then did it sober pretending to be drunk and you can kind of go back and try to catch which one is which and it's very tough and a lot of the scene of this scene is only i think a couple different clips because one of them with the doll eyes and like you know he had written that part allegedly he he, robert shaw wrote some if not all of that and like that scene like it's several like it's maybe half a minute straight with no cuts so it's not like they're cutting around to brody they're cutting around to hooper they're moving the cameras it's like right on him it's very intense and very personal you know and that's how that scene is supposed to be and it's you know you can try to catch when he was drunk and when he wasn't drunk and everything and the indianapolis story like you had mentioned uh eric like they encouraged vets and they didn't know what it was going to be you know they didn't know they were going to tell that story you know well, that shit's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing happened. I feel like if I could, like, edit this movie and make, like, a Joe cut of this movie, it would raise my my rating almost a full two points on this. It's just the shit they left in they didn't need to leave in. <laughs> like, okay. No, this shit is, like, the important part. This is the good part of this movie. I just lose the, like... Oh, just all the stupidity of the fucking early parts of this movie. Like, you can do it so much faster and get the same message across. They, like, there's an extra hour in this movie that doesn't need to be here. Or 45 minutes, I'd say. This movie would be good if it was like an hour and 20 minutes. Would that be and... a short film? <laughs> no, an hour <laughs> hour movie. 20 is a standard a movie. Short fi- no, it's not. 80 minutes is a, is a solid movie. Nah. Yeah. Or if it's an indie comedy, maybe. Right, exactly. No, I mean, a lot of movies are in that time range. If they're comedies. <laughs> Hour and a half, be good. I mean, it's just all you need for this. Like, the story doesn't need to drag out this long. Okay. And, like, there's a bunch of filler. <laughs> I mean, look, Joe, I would argue we're all entitled to our opinions. And, right. you know, we've butted heads before and things. But yep. this argument just falls flat for me that, you know, the movie is, is too long or that there's filler. I mean, this is... Jaws in particular is a film that's celebrated on the merit of of being so tightly constructed that there is no filler. Like there's no romantic subplot. There's no, you know, extraneous character battles. There's no like hordes of bad guys like you get in a lot of other films. It's literally just these three dudes and a shark. Um, You know, they concentrate on the one enemy on a boat in the water so as much as I understand what you're saying as far as being bored by the, you know, maybe first half of this movie because 
they are building a lot of tension. It's a slow burn, man. And slow burns, you got to have some patience for, my friend. You got to sit back and take it in. Anyway, Joe, if you want to hit that next clip for me, uh, this is how we get the crew back to, uh, you know, a sense of celebration after this downer of a speech. All right, but real quick, I got to give a shout out to our founding Patreon member, Hannah, because her and I sing that song all the time. <laughs> because of this movie, we sing that song all the time. Show me the way to go I'm tired and I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gotten right to my head Wherever I may roam By land or sea or foam So we're singing, we're hammer drunk, those two things go hand in hand, and uh, I think really <laughs> the shark would have left him alone if they had just shut the fuck up. Seems like they woke him up and he started pounding on the ceiling like he was renting a cheap apartment. It's like, shut the fuck up, I'm trying to sleep. I don't know why he sounds like Master Shark. Try to sleep, shut up. <laughs> it's terrifying, fucking terrifying at the end. Too much good was going on. No, Bruce knew. It was like, it's time for my music. But uh, yeah, Bruce just starts hammering this boat. Um, we got, you know, floods happening, fires. It is, it's absolute chaos. Um, things really start ramping up here because um, that adrenaline hit comes out of literal nowhere. It's a theme in this movie, man. Like, is Bruce popping up in the background, in the chumming scene? You know, every happy moment sort of being interrupted abruptly. Uh, it, it puts you on the edge of your seat. I do like that it's at dawn, essentially, because they're singing at night and they're telling their stories at night. And then by the time they really, like, get their bearings about him and try to, like, attack Bruce again, like, it's daytime. Yeah. And this, yeah. you know. So we're now scrambling, you know. Bruce has got the upper hand here, and there's that shift between uh, Hunter and Prey, where they are now Prey. And, you know, they intended to be the Hunters. That was the plan, guys. <laughs> um, it's worth mentioning, too, that you don't get a lot of Bruce. Actually, you don't get any of Bruce in these shots. It's just, again, it's the effects of Bruce. It's what he does to the ship. It's the barrels. It's all of the, you know the looming danger of Bruce. Um, 
night turns to morning. And again, traditionally in movies, this is where you get that moment to breathe. Um, not in this one, man. When when night turns to morning and they, they are starting to fix the ship and they are starting to sort of, you know, um, they're starting to try to get things back to normal. Here comes that fucking barrel. Dun-dum. And again, like, it's risky as hell for Spielberg to shoot the finale of this movie in broad daylight because you have a shark that everyone says looks like shit, even though I disagree. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's an onset joke how bad this thing looks. And the nighttime shooting does hide a lot of those imperfections, as well as the water. So, you know, to to end this movie the way he does, where not only are you brightly lit, but the shark <laughs> pretty much jumps onto the boat with the characters. That's some brass balls, Mr. Spielberg. That's, uh, yeah, that's something to be applauded for sure. Right. True. Yeah. Spielberg said that, like, because people were like, hey, you should do it with, like, green screen or in pools and stuff. And Spielberg essentially said, no ocean, no movie, because he wanted the thrashing and, like, the terror that an actual ocean has, like, the cutting right. of everything. And, you know, and again, you want to see that too. Like you said, you could, it's a good point that you brought up too, Eric. Like, you could hide a lot more at night and it's scary, but even broad daylight. Under the water is just scary. I know I have a different bias towards it, but it's just like it's, it can be terrifying, you know, the unknown yep. under there. And do you know that there was a different director attached to this before Spielberg? Really? And he got fired before they even really, during pre-production, I forget his name, because during a meeting with the studio, he starts describing the movie and he, he called the shark a whale. <laughs> and the studio... They were like, listen, if you don't know the difference or don't care to know the difference, you're not right for this movie. <laughs> and then they got Spielberg. And also in that same fashion too, Doug, like Spielberg thought he was going to get fired any day from this film right. because it was taking exactly. so long and yeah. reshoots and stuff like that and just in general yep. at the ocean, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's time to get back on uh, the barrel squad. Yeah. So Bruce comes back and he pops out of the water He's splashing. He's terrorizing the boat. They're rip, you know, the the ropes are getting ripped out of their hand, and uh, yeah, from this point on, it's it's full board, pedal to the metal. Um, you know, everything's been leading up to this. So we're chasing Bruce down, and you know, none of the shit that. We're chasing Bruce down. None of the shit that they're doing is working. I mean, they've got like 20 harpoons in this motherfucker. He's just dragging them around. Um, the boat is, is starting to sink. One thing I don't I don't know if you guys caught <clears throat> while we're on the boat here and we're getting towards the end. It uh, Brody bumps into this air tank and Hooper's like, you got to be careful that it could be it could blow up. And yeah. he ends up bumping into it again as well as a nice little, like, foreshadow there. You know, yep. and again, reiterating what you were saying, Eric, with, like, his inexperience on a boat. You know? And it's a nice little foreshadow with the tank. I don't think I thought this at the time, and I think it's more of a trying to analyze it right now. But, like, I see, like you mentioned, like, you see, like, the underbelly of that boat starts smoking. And, it like, he's pushing it. And... I think that that partially because if you, I see Quint and the boat are almost an entity together, 
And usually when like the imagery of smoke is like, uh, help is required there, you know, that type of thing. Like you send up like a smoke signal, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. And Mm -hmm. it could be the, uh, whether it's the boat or Quint together are crying for help. You know, they're both pushing themselves beyond their limits. And that kind of finally, yeah, that leads into right after this scene too, where he asks Hooper about some of his modern techniques. And even though Quint himself is a very like stubborn bastard, he yep. starts leaning into that because he realizes he needs help now that the, you know, the boat, if you will, sent out the proverbial smoke signals. You know, well, I mean, it's probably the first. Yeah, it's probably the first time since the Indianapolis that he's been out of his depth. Mm-hmm. You know, for sure. But, yeah. Yeah, I'll put the fire out. <laughs> I know. Right. Quint is at this point in the film. He, he's sort of willing to concede that, like, he's in over his head for the first time. Um, you know, it, it, his confidence, you just see it leave his body. He starts to ask about the more modern shark fighting techniques that he was, you know, talking shit about earlier. Um, because at this point he's, he's, he understands what he's facing. This is not a normal shark. This is a fucking mega super shark. So we are now building up to Hooper, uh, suiting up in his scuba gear and going in the shark cage uh, so that he can inject this shark full of 8,000 cc's of go to sleep. Um, it seems like a good plan. I mean, this is a shark cage. Its intended purpose is to protect whatever's inside from a shark. Um, but things do not go to plan. Now, this is some of that footage I was talking about earlier from Australia where they use real sharks, and it sort of took me out of it because those real sharks have a quality that Bruce does not have. They look much slimmer and much more, you know, shark-like. The anatomy's correct. Not as huge, not as cartoonish. And you kind of want Bruce to be huge and cartoonish. And, and, you know, that expectation's already been set for you as the viewer, so... That was not my favorite, but it's quick and it's pretty seamless. And the way it's edited, it, it edited, it did the way it is edited is masterful. Yeah, right. I, I see the I see the intent there, and you know the the forefront to you know have these preconceived notions and try to like, hey, let's go to Australia before try to get some filming, try to get you know these scenes if we need to use them because I'm sure on the cutting room floor they were trying to find stuff, you know. They even yeah. Spielberg even talked about they did it on film and the actual orca at one point sank and it had a canister of film and they got it to development soon enough and were able to like actually use that film and save all of it and they probably wouldn't have done that on a DSLR you know nope which is kind of cool yeah but yeah they're caging up now so Bruce is not having this. Uh this cage in fact this is so anticlimactic which is kind of cool immediately the stick with the uh 8000 cc's of go to sleep juice gets dropped on the bottom of the ocean floor because bruce gets to jump on hooper and cacao hits this thing with all his goddamn might he's tearing his cage apart to the extent that hooper's got to get out of it just to survive which is insane but he escapes the cage and 
it's up in the air what happens to Hooper. There's no answer here. Um, you know, I understand that in the in the book, maybe Hooper met a different fate than he did in the movie, but we don't see Hooper after this shark attack. We get back to the Orca, and this is the point in the film at which Bruce decides, you know what, fuck this boat. He belly flops onto this thing in magnificent fashion, and... I mean, it is terrifying. It is a slow descent into the jaws of a beast for Quint. He slides down the belly of his boat, and uh, he's really kicking and fighting, man. Like, it is a effective death scene because he's trying to hold... I mean, you're talking about a, a slippery, wet boat deck. And he's trying to find some footing, trying to grab onto something. The first time I saw this, too, like, I wasn't sure what to expect. Like, I feel like in our modern world of movies and, like, cinema and stuff, like, it's, like, stuff happens more fairy tale, like, smooth. Whereas this one, there's, like, there's this dance. There's this, like, unprofessional struggle, if you will. It feels like he's, it's not like, here comes Boat. Whoop, right into the mouth and gone type of thing. It's like there's yeah. a struggle and there's this dance here and it feels almost unprofessional film-wise, but like feels like that would be how it really is because Bruce doesn't have any arms. He can't grab the thing. It's just him and his jaws. And he's like got his foot on his nose and he's struggling to find something to grab to. And it just it feels messy, but that's I would imagine that's how it would feel if that was happening too. Oh yeah, you know? it's definitely more realistic. Yeah. It's it's not just gulp, you're gone. Bye. Where's the next? When two I got guys? eaten by a shark, this it went the same way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, cool you, it, little moment, and it's it's a little subtle. Um, that scene earlier where he cut the rope free with the machete, he's it, he left it stuck on the side of the boat. Well, he grabs it, rips it out. And that's what he uses to start stabbing the shark in the side of his uh, gill flanks or whatever. So he doesn't go down without a fight. But he goes the fuck down. And awkward. That's the thing. It's awkward. It, like like Alex is saying, it's the opposite of smooth, which is what happens a lot in more modern cinema. It's smooth, even if it's tragic. But this was awkward and... And that's what it would be like. Yeah, you so. would you would probably you've got these big jowls there, and it's like you'd probably put your feet above and below to try to stop it and do mm. everything you can. And you're like frantic, and you're at ocean at the at the ocean, and you're sliding down a wet dock and everything. And it just it feels messy, but it also felt right. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know Absolutely. if it would have been as satisfying if it was like shark tilt gulp gone by. Right. You know, it, it, and also I believe that's the out of water the most you see Bruce when he's like essentially oh, yeah. jumping up into the boat. It's such mm -hmm. a cool scene and, and they move the camera yeah. around nicely with it as well. But it's like, he's like, I'm going to get onto your boat right now. Right. You know, uh, Bruce chomps him good right in the belly and uh, immediately blood is gushing out of his mouth. It is a brutal, brutal end for Quint that he probably knew was coming. I mean, it was foreshadowed quite a bit. Um, but that's that's it for Quint. Well, you did hear Hooper mention at what Joe calls the slow, unnecessary parts. Did mention that, like, the shark does, like, three things. Swims, mates, and eats. Like, that's all it does. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, 
But you're right. I mean, Eric, I don't know. For the narrative, it has to stay there and just like it's stuck in its mouth. He doesn't, maybe he can't get through the, can't get through the mouth because Quint's body's still in there. Yeah, Quint's in the way. You know, Quint is in the way of, <laughs> damn, see, Quint saved the day with his big head not getting into exactly. the mouth. Exactly. So, Hooper's at the bottom of the ocean, presumed dead, Quint's shark food, and we're left with our hero, Brody, on a very, very quickly sinking ship. Um, now Brody has a rifle, Brody has a oxygen tank or CO2, whatever, whatever's in that tank, that explosive tank. And the shark is just not giving up, man. Like he just had a full Quint size snack. He is not satisfied. Quint is literally hanging from his teeth and he wants more. So... Brody shoves the tank into Bruce's mouth and, uh, you know, Bruce leaves it there. I mean, could have spit it out. Maybe. I don't know. That would have created an issue, but, uh, that's where the tank's going to live for the remainder of this film. Remember they're eating machines. They only do three things. They sleep, they eat, and they fuck. I think that's what they said in the film. (laughs) Paraphrasing. So, Jaws, Jaws, Bruce, Jaws, whatever you want to call him, does another lap, gets away from the boat to come back to it so he can catch up with Brody head on. Orc is sinking quickly. Brody climbs as high as he can to get a good vantage point so that he can uh, stab at Bruce here. And, like, death seems inevitable. Like, this seems like a hopeless situation up until the point when it's not. Um, I think this is why a lot of people have an issue with this movie, have a fear of water. It's just doom. It's just nonstop, nothing going right, doom. And, um, I mean, something does go right here in a second. Joe, if you want to hit this final clip for me, uh, say cheese, motherfucker. Show me the tank. Show me the tank. Blow up! Blow up! Fire, you son of a... So, Bruce has got the tank of whatever in his mouth. He's chomping at it. He's swimming towards Brody. Brody's got the rifle. He's quickly sinking. He's shooting. He's aiming at the tank. So, that's where you hear that that dialogue. Show me the tank. Show me the tank. Blow up. Blow up. And, God damn it, after about five or six attempts, it blows up. And that will happen if you shoot a tank. Like if you shoot a scuba tank, it will blow yeah. up because it is compressed air. It's like three thousand pounds, three thousand psi. So it go boom. Because I, I had to look it up. It's like is the equivalent of like one or two hand grenades going off. So 
Certainly enough to end a shark's yeah. life. But if you're driving down a freeway and a whole truck full of compressed cylinders falls over or a truck with gasoline gets shot and then lit on fire, those won't blow up. But if you crash into a chicken truck, it'll also explode. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. It is pure elation, man. Like, Brody cannot fucking believe what has happened. Um, and that's it for Bruce. He becomes a bloody husk of big fish that just sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Um, you know, it, again, a wonderful showdown between two unlikely characters, a giant fish and a New York City cop. Wonderful. We get our triumphant uh, music. Oh, and guess what, guys? Hooper's not dead. He was just hiding. <laughs> Which I would have if I had enough oxygen to chill at the bottom of the ocean, and I looked up and I saw the shark eating my friend. Something, like, eh, I'm going to stay here for a little while. I'm going to hang out here. Exactly, and that that's definitely movie only because mm-hmm. we talked earlier. Hooper Hooper's dead. Um, Quint kills Bruce. He kills the shark with multiple harpoons, but then gets tangled in the ropes as the shark goes down and drowns. So Brody's the only one left in the book, and that's it. Uh, Hooper pops back up. Yep. Surprises uh, Brody, and that is it for Jaws. They sort of ride off into the sunset. They float back to shore, and guys, we have done it. We have gotten through. Again, lauded as one of the greatest films of all time, Jaws, 1975, kicking off the career one of the most gifted directors ever, ever, even though Joe hates it. Joe, why do you hate it? Tell me. This movie would have been so much better if it was 40 minutes shorter. <laughs> if, if you say so. 100%. If you, by yourself, the only 100%. one say so. Say so. Okay. 100% would make this movie like, so much more bearable. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I got nothing. You're right. <laughs> We just don't need the nothing that happens in the beginning of this fucking movie. <laughs> like, the human con, the the human interaction, the whole fucking pawn scene. Don't the fucking hum- need that shit. The human or cut that down to like a two minute scene. They're in the boat. The shark comes in. We don't need ten minutes of them fucking around in the fucking boat in the pond, going back and forth. Um, Short we don't need four scenes of the theater. mayor. Four scenes of the mayor telling them to keep the town open. We got it in the first scene of the mayor telling them to keep the town open. Like, it's just, it keeps repeating shit over and over and just get to the fucking point of the movie. Like, okay. it's, it's, it's one of these, like, exercises in futility. Can we ever get to a fucking point in this movie? <laughs> like, strong. I'm just saying, it's, it's a bunch of. You know of, what rhymes like, with strong? <laughs> Prong? Yep. Wrong. Nah, We're all waiting saying. to see Joe's directorial debut. There's just a bunch of unnecessary bullshit that happens. It's like, get to the fucking point of the movie. <laughs> mm. I think it's not even like cutting that much, just shorten some of the fucking scenes. They don't need, every scene doesn't need to be 10 minutes long. <laughs> like, it's okay to have a four minute scene or a three minute scene. Like, and you still get convey the same point <laughs> without just the drawn out bullshit mm. in this fucking movie. That's what I don't like about this movie. It's just, I'm sitting here watching this and I'm like, Okay, I got that. I got your message. I got your point. Can we fucking go to the next scene? <laughs> You're wrong. Anyway, guys, uh, we have 
Well, <laughs> we are now at the point in the episode where we rate our film. Joe, hit that extremely long clip for me, and let's get into it. I am a movie critic by trade, and until recently, I got paid to tell you people which movies merely stink and which ones you shouldn't screen near an open flame. Well, I'm putting the burden of lousy movies back on you. It's very simple. If you stop going to bad movies, they'll stop making bad movies. If the movie used to be a TV show, just don't go. After Roman numeral 2, give it a rest. If it's a remake of a classic, rent the classic. Tell them you want stories about people, not a hundred million dollars of stunts and explosives. People, it's up to you. If the movie stinks, just don't go. You love me. You really love me. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Are you not entertained? Okay, so for me, again, Jaws, formative movie, um, film school classic. Love the pacing. Love the tension. Love the character work. Love the acting. Love the directing um the score iconic it's been said many times in this episode but the music becomes a character in itself very very hard to find stuff to dislike in this film unless you are uh an angry joyless man like joe but again for me this movie checks all the boxes it's endlessly watchable it is a masterclass in filmmaking, and my score for Jaws will be a 4.8 out of 5. A near-perfect film. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss. Um, wonderful classic trio. Yeah, I just, I love this movie. Couldn't love it more. And, uh... Really, the only thing that hurts it is the sequels. Um, I don't think they tarnish the film, but god damn, do they try. <laughs> yeah, so my last time I was on, did my favorite movie, gave it 4.9. And um, so this is a much different movie. Again, there's, I always, I don't want to keep it like an asterisk saying that it was 75, but I feel like it's also at the same time what they did in 75 is impressive. So it kind of evens itself out. Um, I enjoy the length of the movie. Um, I enjoy the the cast, the actors, everything relating to it. I have a fascination with the water, even though I don't go in it. I think everything was really well done and shot, especially the fact that they put they did it on the ocean authentically. I think there's a lot of props there, a lot of credit. The first half may have felt slow i think the parts that were exciting if you will in the first half could make up for any shortcomings arguably the slow parts even with the story of the uh, the uss indianapolis you know great stuff there iconic scenes quotable scenes in pop culture even if you don't know the movie um first time i saw it was only in 2019 and seen it several times since and just become fascinated with this movie and the fact that Spielberg did it when he was 26 is just another impressive milestone and um I think from my rating on this 
I'm going to go right with an even four on this. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do really like it. Again, I've only done two of these with you guys, so it's kind of hard to get my own oh, yeah. personal bearings of where a movie lies. And, you know, I didn't want to just go right to, hey, it's zero through five and everybody's doing four to five only and stuff. But I think it's really solid. There could be some slow parts as well, but... um. And I really appreciate the movie. And again, I'm also trying to go off a curve of my favorite movie ever was the one that we just did at 4.9. So, and I don't know if I could put this that close, but I think there's just so many good aspects of this movie and it's just classic cinema. Uh, uh, this one has it all for me. The nostalgia, the the filmmaking. I mean, you know, we're talking about the number 35 movie of all time on the top 100. American Film Institute. I mean, it's a masterpiece. There's, for me, it is. And again, the nostalgia, again, the story about my dad getting the shit scared out of him and even I, the, the, the song, sharing, sharing the song with my daughter, you know, that kind of stuff. So this will absolutely match up uh, with another one of Spielberg's genius movies, Jurassic Park. So I'm giving it a 4.7. Solid. Yeah. Is one of my favorite movies ever, so I, mm-hmm. I can't not give it something that high, you know. Totally. All right. So I can respect Doug's nostalgia playing a big factor in his score on this. Comparing this to Jurassic Park is complete utter bullshit to me, though, personally. Just me personally, <laughs> because Jurassic Park is a fantastic fucking movie that keeps me, like, glued to the screen the entire time. And I was bored 90% of this fucking movie. Um, I, I think the way it's presented that the pacing is too fucking slow. There's a bunch of bullshit. You don't need to see the fucking thing. This movie gets credit for is the amazing special effects. The shark looks fake as fuck. And then the, your real complaint is that the real sharks look fake, even though the real sharks are real sharks and the fake sharks is a fucking piece of styrofoam or whatever, the, or foam, or whatever the fuck it is. It didn't work half the time because it put in salt water. The acting was good from the three main characters when they were on a boat together with no one else around them. Um, there's a bunch of stupid shit that would never happen in real life. I, I just, this is a fucking stupid movie. Like, there's no even a point to it. What's the fucking point? There's a shark attack at a beach and three guys go to kill a shark. In the real life, if there was people getting killed, the fucking Coast Guard would come in and do their job. Not three guys in a raggedy ass boat going out to try to fight a, sh- a shark and two of them have no experience whatsoever in the water. It's a stupid fucking movie. I think I told you in the pre thing I was going to give it around a 2.5 and you can have to, you'd have to like talk me into like giving it a higher score. I'm going to stick with what the fuck I gave it at a 2.5 because I do not like this movie at all. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't like go. this stupid fucking movie and I don't think it's that well made. And yeah, I understand it was on a boat, it was in the ocean, it was 1975. It's not fucking, fucking an excuse. Like, it's not that well made. <laughs> I don't care if he was 26 years old when he made it or what. I don't think it was that well made. I don't care what the American Film Institute says. To me, this is a 2.5. <laughs> like I said on the last one, that thing you do... I thought it was well made. I thought it had a story. I gave it a better score than I wanted to give it because, in fairness, it was a better movie. Like, I just don't like this movie at all. I think this is fucking shitty. I mean, Jaws 3 is shitty. Jaws 2 is shitty. Jaws 4 is shitty. All the Jaws movies are shitty, but at least I enjoyed 3. I mean, I would go down, but I don't want to be disrespectful to you guys who love this movie so much. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know Doug's pissed off right now, but that's how I feel about this movie. I'm not at all. Look, dude, it's you, this is your like, opinion. I do not I get it. It's a hundred percent your opinion. It's a hundred percent your opinion. Better than search and destroy. You're, you're absolutely <laughs> entitled to it. I'm not pissed off. 
I think it's funny, but I'm not pissed off. I mean, not everything. Yeah, I got for a whole everyone. different taste. Yeah, I mean, all the art. Like I said, all the arguments that people make about this movie aren't even that good. It's just like I think some how this movie got in nostalgia land, and everyone blows this movie un- unreasonably. The world is wrong, and Joe's right. And and I wouldn't have went so crazy if you didn't compare it to Jurassic Park, which I think is a fantastic fucking movie. Okay, all right. Because they are complete different animals. Literally, yeah, one's and a dinosaur, one's a shark. <laughs> yeah, one, one, one's good. One was CGI, one was real. Right. Yeah. One one had a way better story. Mm, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see Doug's point of view. With like growing up with something solidifies a different thing for you. You know, people mm-hmm. always say like, "Oh, the music you cling on to happens to be like in your coming yeah. of age, your salad days, your heyday, whatever it wants to be." You know, and I don't know, and and again. I'm not a, uh, I guess I would go like not casual. I'm more of movie buff. I'm not like cinemaphile, like nerd. I'm pretty buff. Like I, I, I guess as soon as you start talking about directors of photography, you have at least a little bit of a movie buff in you. And, you know, and <laughs> there was something about this movie that I think, you know what it is, Eric, that made up for the lack of a nostalgia of growing up with it is my fascination and fear of open water that type of thing like the same thing with like some of my favorite movies are like green mile and shawshank because i have a fascination with the whole narrative of prison stuff even though i myself have never served but i think that you know attracts me and again i'm a sucker for the background the stuff that joe's not really into with like you know achievement by age stuff that has never ever been done before by anybody that's not really joe's thing that strikes him that puts stuff over the edge it is for me as well and again i'm i think my sentiment comes from the idea of like where I come from this background here of like there's stuff that we've achieved in these four walls that have taken almost half of a decade to do and like the stories behind them, those things add stuff for me. So those help any shortcomings for me. And yeah, it's not everything's for everyone and that's fine. And again, another jab, it's Biodome guy doesn't like Spielberg's masterpiece. But Joe See, Joe likes I, his own thing, which is good for the dynamic of the thing, too. I fully feel what you just said. That makes perfect sense. Uh, see, yeah. for me, when I rate a movie, it's I have an hour and a half to watch something. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that against every other movie that I would spend in that hour and a half. I'm not going to put it against what it achieved for its time or what it did this or what it did for this person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it over. I have an hour and a half. What the fuck am I going to watch that I don't feel like I wasted my life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I also feel you on the nostalgia. I grew up with Biodome. Mm-hmm. Like, that was fucking my movie growing up in my wheelhouse. I mm-hmm. love that movie. Mine was it Mall might not Rats. Be a good movie. Yeah, Mall Rats 2 is another one of mine. Mm-hmm. They might not necessarily be the best movies, but they resonate to me and get a higher score for me. Yeah. This, I thought, was an overrated piece of shit that everyone loves for some reason, and that's just my opinion. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going to put it to, like, if I have two hours to sit down and watch something, I'm watching 100,000 things before I watch this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's like I always say, like, about anything, and I use the movie reference as well, like, someone's favorite movie is somebody else's least favorite movie, and that's just different strokes, always. different folks yeah. type of thing, always. you know, and, and that's... Yeah. Oh, let's let's put also in a 90-minute movie, Toy Story's a 90-minute movie, and that movie is it's, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It's really good. Yeah. And just, just saying, like, you can fit it into a shorter movie, you don't need all this extra time it's just wasting an extra 30 but minutes two hours see the thing with that is though <laughs> if it, if the movie was two and a half hours or two hours and 45 minutes that's a bloated movie a two-hour movie is not at all considered a bloated movie i mean that's a uh, standard it movie is time if, it, if it's if nothing's happening during that two hours okay like, 
if literally the entire plot is there's a shark attacking people, we're going to go kill the shark. That doesn't need to be two hours. <laughs> like, there's no, like, crazy, like, plot arcs and setups and twists and, you know, character development. It's literally, there's a shark attacking people. The mayor doesn't want us to kill him. We're going to go kill the shark. Yeah. End of story. I mean, it's, it's the simplest plot ever. <laughs> What's right, the character, character growth story. in the people? Like, what is the character development? Where is the growth? Where is the arc in them? Like, they start out being one person, study. they end up being the same person they start. Like, there is no character development. There is no, like turn around of like uh, like if the mayor at the end of the movie is you know maybe i should have thought and put the town before the people no it's like i'm a dickhead now i'm a dickhead at the end of this movie like there is no fucking growth in this film it's just a fucking blow fest of a shark I and mean, the shark's not even in the movie <laughs> right yeah except for in jaws 2 they do the same fucking thing again because he didn't learn a lesson from jaws 1 in brody literally everybody in this movie is the same character the entire movie it, it there it, it doesn't fucking do anything it just literally shows a story of a shark attacks some people at a beach one person says they should stop it the person in charge says no then they find out that it keeps attacking people because they didn't stop it because the person didn't listen to the other person all right we're gonna go kill it in a rickety ass boat with some crazy guy who lives down by the fucking shore like that's the entire movie summarized in in like two minutes <laughs> i i have one argument against the development side of characters and the length i think there's a problem here if if your goal would be a shorter movie and you want development, the development would feel rushed then. Well, yeah, but I mean, if they're not going to give me development anyways, mm -hmm. get it over with. Like, get the fucking short story you want to tell over with because, I mean, even fucking Moby Dick had character development. Like, Ahab realizes at the end of it that he shouldn't have been fucking going after this whale. Like, this doesn't even have that. Like, Isn't that, isn't that book like a million and a half pages? Yes. That's a long time to develop the character. Right. I still don't think it's a great fucking character or movie either, but I mean, it's better than this. This is just stupid. Like, I hate that I'm being so blunt about this, but I find this so fucking a waste of time. Two million bees makes Joe very angry. <laughs> I, I'm just, no, what made me angry was you comparing this to Jurassic Park. Like, this is nothing like Jurassic Park. All right, then my Jurassic job is Park done. Is Good night, folks. Fan fucking tastic movie and that's nostalgia for me because I grew up with that too. Yeah. And Jurassic Park has the most important aspect a movie needs to have banyan trees right exactly <laughs> I'm sorry. i know i'm sorry i sound i'm telling like an asshole because i'm doing it on purpose I'm, I'm just playing the character right now yeah. up. like i don't i mean i mean i don't like the movie but i don't think it's that bad i'm just being a dick on purpose to be a dick <laughs> i will tell you john williams is two points of my two and a half point score <laughs> <laughs> The point five is bigger boat. <laughs> also, I know there's going to be one person out there who agrees with me. And he's going to be like, thank you for saying this. I've been waiting right. my whole life for somebody to say this. Exactly. Come to my there's island. Be that please. one guy. Come live with me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go watch Biodome together. <laughs> exactly. We do need to get as many Joes together on one island. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So we got our Patreon members. We want to thank these people are lovely, lovely people. Uh, they give us money. They appreciate what we do. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, so our list starts with founding member Hannah Christ. Then we have uh, Mr. P Peter Bianco uh, from the Tone Jerks and Second Button Podcast, Mr. Brian Gower. Um, from the Stream Period Talk Period Repeat Period Podcast, 
because he was very clear that I had to the period include piece. the periods, the period piece. Uh, R.J. Smith. Um, we've got from the Just Surprise Me podcast, our co-host, um, Mr. Will Lehew. Um, a frequent guest, wonderful human, and uh, well, at least the host of the uh, Signal Path, the podcast version of the Signal Path, as well as you know, being the head muckety muck at the Signal Path Facebook page. Uh, that's Mr. Tony DeGraw. Stop and, stealing my memes, Tony. Yeah, you go, right? Meme stealer. Um, and yes, we've also got uh, Mr. Michael McVeigh. Thank you so much. That's Good our off. list. All right. Where can we find uh, this Patreon thing that these people can get on board with? You can find it at patreon.com backslash MOTCU. Yeah. Get on board, man. Buck a month. You know, every little bit. Yeah, it really is nothing. Don't you think about it? It's like I need to get on some more uh, shows, Patreons. Yeah, we have some sponsors to thank: Mo Dewitt and Dewitt Law Firm. Uh, If you're injured on the go, just call Mo. Mo is a wonderful dude, and he will help you out if you have a question, legal question. Hit him up. That is Mo Dewitt and Dewitt Law Firm. We would also like to thank Pinball Junkies for sponsoring uh, this episode. And uh, again, our friends at Hourglass Brewing, thank you for providing the beverages. And with that said, uh, folks can um, check us out at coppersoundpedals.com. Um, find us on Instagram, all of those socials. Check out what we do. We've, uh, we've got a collaboration with uh, Jack White and the folks at Third Man Records called The Triple Graph. It's been out over a little over a year probably how a lot of people have found us which is really cool we've just made over two thousand of those units and um yeah i know right crazy and um yeah we're just we're just doing our thing over here doing uh some handmade pedals and uh check us out on all the socials you guys have some of the best looking pedals too. I, I'm not oh, like even playing around. Like I mm-hmm. love like the design aspects and the aesthetic you guys you guys use there. Thank you. Is it yeah. you guys or just you? <laughs> so it's so it's myself. Uh, collectively between like full time, part time, we've got seven guys total. Nice. Um, but yeah, we make a very conscious effort on stuff. As in this episode, how you heard me talk a lot about color. We are very obsessive over color. Like our reverb pedal, it's blue won't be any color except blue like we're very obsessive over colors and we did the same thing with third man with everything's white yellow black and we try to always keep those elements together like they have to be cohesive yet they have to live on their own um as a brand and we are like obsessive over that stuff and it's cool that some people really dig it and they they get that vibe and it's art as everybody here does art in their own form and art is everything you know it's it's just it's it's weird that people take it for granted. I even wrote it in my article that just came out for Premier Guitar that essentially everything is art. Yet they always talk about cutting art funding and budgets, but they never talk right. about cutting sports. Even though the sports right. need art for the jersey, they need art for the field, they need art for the score. Like every single mm-hmm. thing, you know, Eric, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but everything is art. You know, the cereal box that, is art. Everything. I is, will give you a I will give you a solid five rating on that. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, we agree. With you on that. We agree. We agree on that for we, sure. Yep. There we go. Everything's uh, art. But yeah, check us out. Coppersoundpedals.com. You can find our stuff there and take a look. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with uh, like my pedals and 
Doug's stuff at 37 and uh, all of Eric's stuff. It, it's just art. Artists love other artists as well. Yeah. yeah. I will say um, the most asked about pedal I have is the Telegraph. <laughs> That's the pedal I get the most questions about. It's, yeah. a, it's definitely a conversation starter, if, it, if nothing else. It is beautiful. Thank you. And I have the copper vein one, which looks amazing. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a fun small batch that we did and very true to the company as well. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, give a big thanks to our sponsors. We got the Pinball Lounge, who is doing the Rush Pinball Release Celebration. That's February 26th. Doors open at 2 o'clock. Uh, they have a tournament at 3, and then they have a show at 5 p.m. Also, big thanks to Mo DeWitt and DeWitt Law Firm. And another big thanks to Hourglass Brewing for, you know, having some awesome beers that, uh, you know, inspired me tonight to really just let loose. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are true heroes. I just think about that that, uh, Nick Cage gif with the bees. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) The Wicker Man? Nick Cage is from it's from the Wicker Man, I think, right? Yeah, where he's got Wicker the cage Man. on his head. Yeah, bees, the bees, no, not the can, bees. Eric, can you can you pass the 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 word over to them to make me a Banyan beer? There you go. Banyan That'd be theme. cool. They yeah. absolutely are. Um, next time on Masters of the Cinematic Universe, we will be covering what I personally think is the best like um, Beatles music based movie. There are a bunch of them. I mean, I also like Sgt. Pepper's Only Heart Club Band with Peter Frampton. Yeah, that's so bad it's good. I agree with you, Joe. It's uh, just so bad it's good. (laughs) And Aerosmith. Yep, absolutely. That's that's a bad good movie, but we're doing one that's, speaking of arts, this is one of the more artistic movies we're going to be doing. And speaking of surprises, I picked this movie somehow. Like, this isn't my typical wheelhouse of movie. My my movies usually consist of a lot more vulgar, bad jokes. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we will be doing across the universe. Yeah. Um, and the draw on that is going to see, even though Joe picked it and he loves it, that I might actually give it a higher rating than Joe because this movie is one of my favorites. It's like, such I, a good I, I, have, I was so excited when I saw that Joe added it to the list because I, I, this is one I'll watch two, three times a year just yeah. because I love it. I, it's just going to the art aspect of it. It's just yep. a fantastic art piece. Yep. Um, with with great music. Oh which yeah, I hope you know if I pull clips of this one, we don't get it pulled down because of the music, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> got to be careful. This might be the it's... episode we we can't pull clips for. But it has to. You got to do it though. You know, yeah, that's know. the thing with this is is it has to be done. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I just wish we could we could put visual clips up for this one because the visual aesthetic of this movie is incredible. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, so with that. Once again, thank you, Alex. We appreciate you being on with us. Yeah, I mean, thank Andrew, you, brother. Andrew, yeah, right? Yeah. Andrew, Andrew, Alex. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. everybody uh, join the Facebook group, uh, Master of the Cinematic Universe, and let us know how we're doing. Let me know how wrong I am about everything because that's going to be on my gravestone. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I was wrong about everything. Maybe I'm still alive. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on that bombshell, Lights, camera, fuck off. Hey guys, we've got to that point in the show where we need to start depending on listeners like you to help keep this thing going. What are we, fucking PBS? Oh yeah, you know it, I'm LeVar Burton. 
I wanted to be LeVar. Fuck. All right. I caught it first. Yeah, I'm hosting we... Jeopardy. <laughs> Are you, though? Listen, guys, we, we need your help. Uh, to help keep the lights on, as they say. Uh, we are launching our Patreon for Masters of the Cinematic Universe. Yes. Yes. And we have uh, different tiers that you can sign up for and pledge to, just like PBS. Um, you get some different real cool gifts and prizes and merch, uh, depending on the tier that you sign up for. Oh, we got all the tiers. Oh, yeah. You Back. can either be a friend it, of the show, a oh. friend with benefits... Ooh. We just we could start to get serious, or you could just put a ring on it already. Yeah. Ooh, damn. And if you uh, if you exceed that amount, uh, you know we'll send you some not safe for work picks if, if you want. <laughs> it's not safe for your eyes picks in my case, but not safe for anything right. picks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, guys, check out uh, Patreon.com/slash/MOTCU. Uh, take a look at well, all the different tiers that we're offering. Lots of cool. Uh, swag coming your way from stickers to t-shirts to getting to pick the film that we uh, talk about. Yeah, The yeah. tiers started at a dollar. A dollar a month. Come on, what? folks. That's it? Yep. One buck to get in on that on that number one tier. And All with right. that, you even get the live chat with us anytime you want, as well as a shout out on every episode. Right. So, come on. That's less than a cup of coffee a month. Jesus, what a steal. Yeah, guys, right? check it out. Again, patreon.com slash M-O-T-C-U. And then enjoy this week's movie.